our, our text today. Debt, love and the law of God. We're going to continue in Romans and uh, reading a couple more verses in chapter 13. And um, if you follow in your Bibles, and we'll pick up at verse 8. Chapter 13, verse 8. And this is what it says. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbour has fulfilled the law. For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilment of the law. God will add a blessing to his word. Last week, we spoke of our relationship to governing authorities and how we are to respond to the governing authorities that are over us, that God has established. And this morning my prayer is that God's word would become plain in regard to the debt we owe. Owe nothing to anyone, the text says. That sounds like a great financial position to be in, right? Imagine, no mortgage, no bank loans, outstanding. People generally love the idea of being debt free. I recently heard that the Australian credit card debt was slowly being reduced. You may have heard that as well. Which is really, really great news. But I soon discovered that our national credit card debt is hovering still around $50 billion. Now this staggering amount means that the average credit card debt runs between three to $4,000 each. Now I'm taking that that would be, you know, you know how you get a credit card, you buy things and you get a bill from your bank and if you pay it off at a certain time there's no interest charged. So I'm, I'm taking that this three to 4000 would be debt that's not paid off and that's gathering interest. And because the banks love this because, as you know, credit cards attract a wonderful heap of interest for them. And, um, and, and so we need to ask, why is debt such a normal way of life for so many people? One reason is, one reason is that we live in a day where consumerism rules. In other words, if people want something, they don't wait, they just go out and buy it using the plastic fantastic and um, get what they want. When they want. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not against credit cards, so I've got one, I use it all the time. But I've always made it a policy to pay it off each month. No bank's getting interest on me at 17%. But using them, using a credit card on a long-term basis to borrow, to buy what we do not need, it can be dangerous. Very dangerous. Not only financially dangerous, but it also can be sinfully dangerous, especially if you borrow to buy out of envy, 
or keeping up with the Joneses, or to put on a show, or maybe out of just a plain sensual love of comfort. It can be sinfully dangerous. You see, going into debt for those kind of reasons would be grossly, grossly sinful and, and I guess we would all agree, unwise to say the least. Allow me to say this. You see, there seems to be a dearth of wisdom these days. There seems to be a dearth of wisdom of many people knowing how or having the nous to live within their means. You see, our culture is saturated, our culture is saturated and saturated us, and it continues to do so, with a, a consumerist philosophy of, of buy now, enjoy it now, have it now mentality. Why? Because they tell us, you need this because without this you will not be fulfilled and you will not be happy and you will not be content. And so we get sucked into that. How we need to be wise and not enculturated into the trap of borrowing to buy what we want rather than only borrowing for what we really need, which is something that could be used for God's glory. How we need to be careful about that. You see, there is a difference, folks. There is a difference. And I want to make that clear here, that borrowing money is not condemned here in Scripture. It's not condemned, nor is it forbidden by God. In actual fact, God in the Old Testament gave many instructions for his people on lending and borrowing and when interest was legitimately allowed to be charged and when it was not. So why and for what reason does the Apostle Paul here in this text that we've just read, why does he introduce this section with a, with a financial bent where he says, oh, nothing to anyone? Well, that brings us to our first point where it tells us, Christian, pay your debts. We have this in the first part of verse 8. Now, to the casual reader, to the casual reader, one may think that Paul is really bouncing from one subject to another here with not too many logical connections. Because as we have noted, we have just finished telling believers that we are to pay what they owe to the authorities. In other words, they are to pay their taxes, they are to pay their customs, they are to pay honour, they are to pay fear, etc. And they are to respect the authorities and submit to the authorities. Now the Apostle Paul uses a small phrase, owe nothing to anyone, or what this really means is, let no debt remain outstanding. And he uses this phrase to introduce another debt. He instructs us about financial debts that we must pay to form a a kind of a bridge to a greater debt that we also can and must pay. This is what this phrase is here for. But this debt that he introduces us to, it's a debt that we will never pay back in full. We'll never pay back in full. It's a debt of love. But this first statement has all to do with literal financial debt. So I believe it requires us to have a look, actually, at what this does mean. Okay? That's why I love the Scriptures, because it's so relevant for every facet of life. We need to understand that what it doesn't mean is that a Christian 
is not to go into debt. It doesn't mean that. You see, this text here is all about paying back debt that you might have. That's what it's about. It's not forbidding us to borrow money, but it's a reminder of the obligation of paying back what we have borrowed. The psalmist records, the wicked borrows, but does not pay back. Psalms 37 verse 21. You see folks, the evil is not in the borrowing, but in one's failure to pay back what is due when it's due. That's where the evil lies. That's where the wrongness lies. That's where the sinfulness lies. The believer's financial situation, our financial situation, it should be above reproach where we have no debt that is outstanding or overdue. Hence, owe no man anything. What this needs, means, of course, also is that we need to be careful about why and how and what level of indebtedness we get ourselves into, right? This is a bit of a no-brainer. We need to make sure that we can meet our financial obligations. Even to the point of allowing for unforeseen circumstances, maybe like job loss or accident or ill health and even death. I even remember, I remember many years ago when I bought my first car. And I think it was about 18 at the time. And I borrowed money from the bank to do it. I didn't have quite enough and so I had to borrow a bit more. And um, under my father's advice, yeah, that was okay. And so went and did that. Then I paid out the money and then my dad insisted that I take out a full comprehensive insurance cover. Oh, all I could see was more dollars. No, 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 I cannot afford this. And he instantly says... If you cannot afford to have a full insurance, you cannot afford to have a car. You see, what he was teaching me was that I needed to make sure all my debts were covered, even in the event of unforeseen circumstances. So when thinking about debt, there are some reasons, by the way, some reasons for indebtedness that are plainly sinful, like we've talked about, you know, like selfishness and pride and pleasure and envy, etc., But there are others that are genuinely legitimate and they can be a wise investment. They can be a wise investment. And this was especially true in the agriculture industry, especially in the Old Testament times uh, where it was described, you know, they borrowed money for seed so that they put money in the ground and and so forth and uh, for the next season. And so scripture indicates that there is a place for borrowing money to make a wise investment. Bringing it up today, standard, borrowing today uh, to buy a house for the needs of the family can also be a, a wise reason to borrow money. Maybe a student investing in an education and for a necessary career, it can be a wise reason for borrowing money to be educated in that particular field that he or she wishes to go into. But in all this, we must borrow according to our means and not be enticed into debt that robs us of our time, our peace, our joy, and our fellowship in the Lord, and our fellowship with other believers, and also our giving to the Lord. As soon as any investment robs us of those things, you're really not living within your means. After all, it's usually because of selfish reasons people become sinfully enslaved to their debt load. 
It does well to remember the principle. You know, Proverbs 22 verse 7 says, The rich rules over the poor and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. How true is that? So both Old and New Testament times, borrowing for business was commonly done. And interest, as I said before, was charged legitimately to do, on occasions and it was other occasions they were told that they weren't to charge. You can read all about that in Leviticus in the book of Deuteronomy. And in regards to the scriptures being open and clear on this, I remember there's another occasion when... Um, the parable of the unjust steward. Jesus was, um, uh, he described a, a, a legitimate wise investment scenario there. And, um, and to illustrate what his people must do when he was, when, with what he had loaned to them. And um, he suggested, this is what Jesus suggested to the, to the unfaithful servant. He was the lender, speaking to the borrower, right? Uh, that he would have done well to put his money in the bank because at least the money would have earned him interest because all this guy did was took the money and put it in a hole in the ground. And when the lender came back, the master came back, there was nothing. Only what he had first given him. So lending and borrowing and indebtedness is not the issue here, folks. It's paying back what we owe when it's due. That's the focus. That's the focus of this little phrase here. And as believers, Paul instructs us that we're to be squeaky clean in this area. Oh no, anything. Pay your debts. But as we suggested at the outset, there is more to this financial instruction. Much more here, okay? Because what this instruction is doing is forming a bridge, as we suggested, to introduce us to this other debt. This other debt, and far more important debt. A debt that we always need to be paying, but a debt that we will never pay off. And this is the debt of love we owe to God and to one another. And that brings us to our second point, which says, Christian, you are indebted to love, so pay up. Okay? We see this in verses 8b onwards. And this is where Paul really wants to take us. So we've had the little phrase, that's yeah, dealing with financial, but it's really forming a bridge to what Paul really wants to get to and to push home. He's crossed over the bridge and now he comes to the spiritual truth where he says, Oh, no man nothing except to love each other for the one who loves his neighbour has fulfilled the law. You see, the debt a true believer has and is called to continually pay and yet will never fully pay back is the debt of love, folks. The debt of love. You see, we're continually in debt to God and to one another and it's our obligation as believers to go all out and satisfy God's demands on this. By how? By loving one another and our neighbours as ourselves. Now, this is a truth that is sadly missed by many believers today. How sad it is to see believers treating others with anything but love, right? And the worst part is because we have become so enculturated by our, our society and our culture and how to treat one another, we don't even know that we aren't treating them with love. We think we're being normal. And we're gaining our normality from culture and society on how to treat one another. 
And the simple reason is, is we're allowing culture to dictate the terms and our unredeemed natures to rise to the fore and call the shots rather than heeding the word of God on us. We treat our love for others a little bit like we treat our politician and those governing authorities that we spoke of last week. What we do is we tend to shelve some people on the do not love shelf and others on the indifferent or whatever kind of shelf while a few of the chosen are on a priority love shelf. We can be so partial and that's the truth. We can be so, so partial too often. But here we're instructed that we have a debt of love we owe and it's comprehensive and inclusive. Comprehensive meaning that we're to, we're to love not only our fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord, but also our neighbours. You see that? Also our neighbours. That is anyone that we become acquainted with. You might say, oh, how do you know what that means? Remember when Jesus was asked by a clever lawyer one time in his earthly ministry, he was asked by this clever lawyer who was trying to trap him, how do I inherit eternal life? You read about that in Luke 10. And Jesus responded to his question by asking the clever lawyer another question. And which the lawyer answered absolutely correctly. And this is what the lawyer said. Well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbour as yourself. And Jesus says, absolutely right. So go and do it. And you shall have life. But the man said, but who is my neighbour? That's when Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. And the moral of that story is that your neighbour is anyone who has a need or anyone whom in the providence of God you become acquainted with. So folks, there's no room for shelving people on different love levels according to our likes or our fancies. If we want to honour God, we are to love as he commanded. Right here. And this is the debt, this is the debt that God is calling in. Okay, he's calling it in. For us, his children, for those who belong to him, to pay up and to keep on paying. This is a lifelong work. This is the greatest and most important and also, I might say, the most rewarding debt that we can ever work at on paying back. This is why we need to be working on paying this debt every day. Every hour of all our lives. This love debt calls for a whole lot of things. It calls for a sacrificial attitude right from the start. It starts with attitude, right? Starting with the heart. It calls for a submitting to the Spirit of the Holy Spirit, a submitting to the Word, a submitting to the will of God. This kind of love is a godly love. And, and, and the greatest test of this love is its willingness to sacrifice its own needs and well-being for the, for the, for the, and for the well-being of, of others. Even if it demands, even if it demands laying down your life. That's the kind of love this is. Jesus said in John fifteen thirteen, Greater love hath no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. That's the kind of love Jesus displayed at Calvary, by the way. But more, but more. He didn't only lay his life down for his friends when he died on the cross, he laid his life down for his enemies. 
Because every single person is an enemy of God. We're born in sin and, and, and we're sinners by nature and practice. And so he came and died for sinners like us. So we owe him, right? We owe him. Apostle John instructs us in 1 John 4 and 7. Beloved, he says, Let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And further in 4.21 he says, This commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. But you know what? You will never, ever begin paying this debt of loving others in a way that pleases God if you have not surrendered and are not living a surrendered life to Jesus Christ as is described in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. These are the verses we all go back because all the way through since then, Prince chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, all what's there and what we have come to and even included today hinges on those two verses. These verses, these two verses are the foundation of these commands. That's why this debt demands more than our humanness can ever achieve. You see, to meet the payments of this ongoing debt, we need more than just our humanness and our goodwill, so-called. We need supernatural power from God, which will only ever, ever flow through lives that are surrendered to Jesus Christ in willing, obedient submission. Only ever. It's only believers, as, it's only as believers die to themselves and live for Christ can we ever love like this or love comprehensively. This is not pie in the sky kind of love, folks. This is not something out there that's out of our reach. Oh, it's just all not real. No, no, no. This, this is real. It's possible. Otherwise, the God would not have commanded us to love like this, right? We can and are commanded to love like this. How? How? Only through the new capacity that we as believers have been given. And we have a new capacity. Before we were saved, we had a sinful nature. When we trusted Jesus Christ as our Saviour, He indwells us with His Holy Spirit. We have new desires, we have new longings, we have, we have new anticipations. There's a whole lot of new things. As a matter of fact, the Scripture says that we are made as new creatures in Christ. And also we have this new capacity to love like this. And if you haven't got that, you're not a Christian, if you haven't been saved, born again, trusting in Jesus Christ, you do not have this new capacity and you will never be able to love like this. Romans 5, 5 says, We have the love of God poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Remember that? This means that there's no excuse for us not to be, as believers, proactively engaged in paying this love debt. No excuse. For we have been given the wherewithal to do that. And besides this, Jesus also commanded us to love like this elsewhere. He says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one for another. John 13, 34, 35. We can and we must be actively engaged in paying this debt which we will never fully pay. 
It is a command of God, we owe it to him and we owe it to one another. This is the kind of love that God is honoured by and you know what else it does? It fulfils his law. Jesus says, I did not come to destroy the law, I came to fulfil the law. We want to fulfil God's law, right? We want to be those who please and honour God. We will never fulfil it perfectly, no. Not this side of glory. Just like we will never pay this debt fully this side of glory. But that doesn't excuse us from forging ahead and striving on and drawing on the power that God has put in with us, his love, to love like this. You see, the law of God is perfectly kept in a love like this. But we cannot keep it perfectly or ever pay it back in full. Why? Because in these unredeemed bodies we still have this contagion of sin that hampers our ability. That's why us Christians, we're not perfect. None of us are perfect. We mark up at times, right? We think wrong things. We say wrong things. We do wrong things. We're indifferent about things when we shouldn't be indifferent. We don't love like we should. But praise God, Jesus did, right? There was no contagion of sin in him. He loved perfectly. He kept the law of love perfectly on our behalf. He laid down his life for sinners like you and me. So that by faith in him that we might know God and be accepted by him. Oh, what love, what boundless love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. We owe it to him, right? And to one another. This brings us to our third point. Christian to love one another is, we see this in the, also in verse 9 and 10. I want you to notice what paying this love debt really looks like here. Because Paul gives us five specific Old Testament laws and in this text here, and four of them are from the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, but there's a fifth from Leviticus 19, verse 18. Um, and these are examples of love and practice, I might say. You might think, well, yeah, it's a broad stroke, and, um, and so forth, but they're examples of love and practice. And you will note that, that four of them come in a negative form, and fifth is a positive. We just go through them. It says, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not cover. And then it goes on to say, and any other commandments, commandment are summed up in this word. You shall. That's the positive. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. When we think of the Ten Commandments, you'll know something about the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. When we think of the Ten Commandments, if you go through them, the first four you will see is all about our love and our devotion and our loyalty and our allegiance toward God, Right? It's all about our relationship to God. But here, and from after the four, here we have relationships with fellow human beings. And this is an important order to note. And the reason for this, I believe, is that when we obey the first four commands, and when we get the first four commands right, the others will follow suit. In other words, when we love God in the way that he's set down, we will begin to see others as God sees them. And when we see others through God's eyes, we will love people how God has commanded us. That's the deal. That's how it works. So if you think you can just go to the humanitarian type love and skip the God love factor, you're mistaken. 
Or put it another way, if you truly love God, as Paul puts it here, you will not commit adultery, you will never murder, you will never steal, and you will never covet. There's some practical rubber on the road stuff for us to get our heads and hearts around. Because what do these things do? And and are just examples, by the way? Paul put them here as examples. This is not an exhaustive list of what love looks like if we don't do these things. Because what these things do is they only bring hurt, they only bring misery, they only bring disdain, they only bring slander, and you name it. All these things are so destructive. Sexual immorality, murderous and violence, and thievery, and coveting and jealousy, they are so, so destructive put on by one person to another. And so the true believer will never want any part of these kind of things because they damage, they rob, they cheat, they destroy and they slander others, right? And in case you're feeling happy and smug and thinking, well, I'm off the hook here, I've never committed adultery, I've never murdered anyone. Don't know about the stealing, but you can draw that one out. But at least the biggies, I'm off the hook here. In case you're feeling a little bit like that, remember what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount? On these very things? He taught that all sin originates in the heart. And what he's saying here is sin's action, or the action of sin that first originated in the heart, is merely the outcome of what was spawned in the heart. So even though thoughts of immorality, hatred, jealousy and harm are sinful and, and seen by God as just as that, that's exactly what they are, sinful. He says in Matthew 5 and 19, For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness and slander. He also said in Matthew uh, in verse 21, You have not, have you not heard, this is what Jesus is saying in the sermon of mine, have you not heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable for judgment? That's the question he asks. But I say unto you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable for hellfire. And then he goes on to say a little bit further in verse 27 28. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But this is what I say unto you. Everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see, folks, it's not only the action. It's not only the action of the sin, but it's Sinful thoughts and attitude about others is summed up in these commands as well. You see, paying our debt of love to God and others will never, never want to do people any harm in thought, word or deed. As a matter of fact, your love for your neighbour is to be measured by that protective affection that we naturally have for ourselves. That's the measuring stick, Okay? You are to love your neighbour as yourself. That's the measure. And you may say, well, do I love myself? Absolutely we do. 
honestly believe we love ourselves too much sometimes. On TV, you know, you're worth it. <laughs> this culture tells us, you know, the biggest problem is we don't love ourselves enough. I would say we love ourselves too much. But anyway, we're wired that way that um, we protect ourselves, we nurture ourselves, we get ourselves in the morning and look in the mirror and think, oh goodness, how can I improve that? Sometimes it's a, uh, we give up, but there you are. And um, we, we go all out to protect ourselves because we love ourselves. And God knows that. And there's a measure of rightness in that. We, we are to protect and nurture and, and look after ourselves. The point is, we are to love ourselves as we are to love others. It shows in a way that we are to show regard and respect and concern for each other like we do toward ourselves. That's what he's saying here. You see, true love is active. It's very active. We heard that as we, Jordan, read 1 Corinthians 13. What love is, it's kind, it's patient and all those wonderful things. True love is active and it goes way beyond warm, fuzzy feelings, believe you me. Way beyond that. Jordan quoted it last week. I've quoted it before and I'm going to quote it again. A good definition of love. As is by Bodie Barker, biblical love is an act of the will accompanied by emotion that leads to action on behalf of its object. I love that definition. Where does it come from? You see, this is what, how God loves us. Did God come along and say, oh, he's a good boy, he's a good girl, and because of what he's done, I'm going to love him. No, no, no. From before the foundation of the world, before we even thought of, he chose us in his love. It was an act of his will. And then he stepped into time in the incarnate Christ, and there we see heaps of emotion. Jesus wept. And there was emotion enjoined in his, in his love. And, 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 and the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground as he anticipated the horror of, of spreading his arms out and dying in love for those of his people. Enjoined with emotion. But did it stop there? It wasn't just emotional commitment. No, no, no. It led to an action on behalf of its object. But actually it was Calvary. He gave us all. We owe him, right? We owe one another. I hope that's the way you love your spouse. I hope this is the way that you love your parents and your children. But also another, with no partiality. I hope this is how you love your neighbours. When we truly love like this, we are paying the debt of love we owe and we're fulfilling the law of God. In conclusion, just going to recap here a little bit. Go back to that first point. Pay your debts, if you have them. Maybe as a start here, there's someone who has, is entrapped with the tyranny, of the, the tyranny of, the, of the plastic fantastic credit card. Maybe you need to cut the thing up. Bite the bullet and do something. Maybe you need to work to a budget. Maybe you need some help on that. Go along and see Bill. He's a good man with budgets. Because they do help us to overcome financial issues. Number two, remember, if you're a true believer, 
you're indebted to loving others. May our pursuit of temporary things fade in comparison to our pursuit of loving one another. And there are a lot of temporary things out there we spend a whole lot of time on, won't we? I got one of Sharon's infamous emails the other day about this poor man. He's 70 plus and for the last 30 years he has cut his lawn six times a week to the exact measurement of five millimetres and he's going whoopee doo look at my lovely lawn. That's all he's got. Okay, he's got a bit of fame that's gone around the world that's gone on the internet. It's going to burn up one day that lawn. It's not going to be green by the way. Temporary things. May our pursuit of temporary things fade in comparison to our pursuit of loving one another and our neighbours which brings eternal reward. So maybe you know someone. Maybe you know someone who needs a friend. Or maybe a helping hand. Maybe a word of counsel. Maybe a word of apology from you or a word of encouragement. Or maybe you know someone who needs a gospel challenge. Because you are to love them. Don't hold back. Don't be indifferent. You know, just imagine what kind of impact we might have for God's glory if we became known as a church like never before as a church who truly loves people and a church that willingly shows that love. Just imagine. We're allowed to do that. Sanctified imagination. Thirdly, on a church level, how can we serve those who are spiritually dead and in need of Jesus Christ? How can we tell them and confront them with a love that they do not know about yet, the love of God through Jesus Christ? How can we genuinely show godly love that leads them to the saving power of Jesus Christ in the Gospel? How can we do that? Once again, let's not be indifferent about this, folks. This is a debt we owe, right? But for the grace of God, I wrote this here for myself, but for the grace of God and his, his matchless love toward me and toward you, I might say, but for his grace and his matchless love, we would be, each of us, still on the broad road that leads to destruction. Oh, how he loved us. And so we owe him, right? And we'll never pay it back. But he's calling in the dead. And so we must be busy about that. May God add his blessing to his word this morning. Thank you.